but he's not. And it's not the power of the electronic microphone. So I'm going to read to you, if you'll join me in standing, please, from 1 Peter. Three short verses, but very valuable for advice. 1 Peter 1.1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Jumping ahead to 17, 1 Peter 1, 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. I've not seen that word combination before. 1 Peter 2:11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Gail. There's some commonality, some common terminology in those three verses, and and we'll be talking a little bit about that today. Um, in actually, I probably should have had Gail fudge over into a verse two of chapter one just a little bit, um, but when you read verse one, it talks about God's elect. And in verse 2, right at the beginning, it says, we have been chosen. We like the sound of that. I like the sound of being one of God's elect. I like the sound of being one of God's chosen. Don't you? Those are pretty positive things. But strangers? I don't want to be strange. That one's a little more difficult to accept. We want to be accepted not thought of as odd or weird or as uh, uh, chapter 2 verse 11 said, alien, or as some translations put it, a peculiar people. We kind of... Julie was reading some definitions of peculiar this morning. But the one we think about I th- uh, most often when we think of peculiar is weird, odd, right? We don't want to be thought of as peculiar or odd. We, you know, uh, I think there's a basic drive in humanity to kind of blend in and fit in and be accepted, right? So... We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to. Um, we don't want the discomfort of being or living in our world as strangers. This, but that's exactly what Peter is telling us we need to do in this passage or these passages of Scripture. That's what he's talking about in a spiritual sense. He, he, you know. Um, we took a train trip back, and when was that? Julie, February. We t- we went over to um, yeah, Glenwood Springs. Thank you. 
And we rode the train over and back, and there were some uh, Amish people on the train with us. And they're obviously, you can tell right away that they're Amish because they dress differently. There's, and, you know, most of the men have a nice full beard, and there are just some things about them that tell you right away that these people are, are they live a little differently than the rest of us do. And, and I, I'm, I'm not sure that's really what Peter's telling us here, but he is telling us that we need to be different spiritually. We need to be different in the way we think. That's what makes us strange in the world we live in. So figuratively speaking, we should be like foreign refugees in our own country. You may know of people like that who refuse to give up their heritage, their language, their customs. They, they resist attempts to be Americanized um, and give up their cultural traditions. And in a sense, that's how God has called His people to be. We must resist attempts to assimilate us into, into the prevailing culture to the point where there's no noticeable difference between us and them. And we're reminded throughout Scripture that we are strangers, we are aliens, we are non-conformists. Leviticus, put it back in Leviticus in, in the Old Testament. In, 20, in uh, chapter 25, verse 23, God says to His people, The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is Mine, and you are but aliens and tenants. In 1 Chronicles 29:15, it says, We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our, day on earth, our days on earth are like a shadow. In Psalm 39.12, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do, be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Psalm 119, verse 19, I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. John 17, Verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, My prayer is not, and He's praying for His disciples here, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Philippians 3.20, and we just talked about this recently, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.13 All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And then Romans chapter 12 Verse 2, do not conform, that's the key word there, any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then in First Peter, 
Moving to the fourth chapter, verses 3 and 4. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Oddballs. Folks, Christianity is not a label that you wear like my name did. It is a relationship. It's a lifestyle that should stand in contrast to the culture that we're surrounded by. It should control our moral choices, what we hold as truth, our speech, what we do, and what we don't do. We are strangers here and citizens of heaven, which means we should live by the standards of heaven because that's where our citizenship is. You know, I really believe, let's call it the line of demarcation between followers of Jesus Christ and the world we live in is becoming clearer and clearer, or at least it should be. I know in some quarters that line's being blurred right now. But if we are aliens and strangers, as the Scripture tells us we should be, if we are citizens of heaven, that line of demarcation should be very clear. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And I and only a few find it. Honestly, I don't like that last phrase. I have some concerns about the scriptures relates to what's happening in the church of Jesus Christ in our culture today. Because I, I see a movement, at least in some quarters of the church, toward the broad way in my mind. We want acceptance by the world. Listen, if the world agrees with us right down the line, our belief system, the world I'm talking that should send up all kinds of red flags. If they have approved of us, if they're completely pleased with us, you know, it's one thing to be pleased because we love people and because we do, do acts of compassion and care and meet needs, but it's another thing when they agree completely with our belief system as well. That should be an uh-oh to us. Right? And unfortunately, we see the church drifting in that direction. We're becoming... In fact, we're becoming strangers in our own tribe. And in Christianity, we're becoming strangers to some of the others who seem to be drifting in the direction of the broad way. That's how I see it. And it's disturbing. Foreigners, exiles, we are strangers in our own land. You know, Christianity once favored in American culture has now fallen into disfavor. In many ways, as followers of Jesus, we are exiles in our own country. You know, when, uh, when Judah and Israel were taken away into exile as judgment, the question was, how did they maintain their cultural and religious identity as 
exiles and strangers in a foreign land because they were carried away to Babylon and to Assyria. And we have to be careful that we don't become Babylonians and Assyrians. You see what I'm saying? We cannot allow ourselves to become secular culturized, if that's culturized is a real word. We must retain our Christian identity no matter what the culture around us says. We must continue to allow God's Word to be our guide and our standard, our rule. We need to learn how to be the church, God's people in exile, because we are strangers among others. We don't like being strange. We don't like being strangers. We're more at ease with the familiar, with fitting in and not being noticeably different. But folks, Peter wrote the words that Gail read for us today. He did it because he knew that if we are really living for Jesus, it could never be the way of complete acceptance. Oh, we embrace you completely. Jesus told us that if we lived according to the truth of Scripture, there'd be some pushback. He called it persecution. Right? So, that's something that we need to understand. And he said, blessed are you, by the way, when you're persecuted because you believe in and live for me. Think of the things that have happened in our lifetimes. Prayer abandoned school. Ten Commandments removed from public buildings. Even efforts to remove the cross and manger scenes from church property. Efforts to remove the words under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. And then we move into this whole era of political correctness. And boy, that covers a lot of turf. So, in recent years, we've seen the approval of same-sex marriage. And then there's this idea of wokeism and critical race theory and a huge focus on gender dysphoria. In fact, I read an article um, when I was preparing for this. One article said that there are 64 terms that describe gender identity and expression. I can't... How do you, how do you figure that out? I like, I like the, what the Bible says, male, female. I like that. I can figure that out. And it's something that we're wrestling with in our country right now in a big way. But folks, all of these things and more are signs that we're living in a post-Christian era. And you can expect that we will see more assaults on our faith in the future. And if you're committed to Jesus Christ and the truth of His Word lived out in the world, you will be more and more a stranger in your own country. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and I mention this from time to time, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. By the way, the habit... That, that, there, 
Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. They're not talking about... That was the given, meeting together. Some were developing the habit of not meeting together. That's what he's talking about. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return approaching. And we're looking at what's happening in our world right now and saying, boy, it's got to be right around the corner. Even though that's been said multiple times throughout history. And it might be right around the corner, and it may not. It it, it could be a day away, a week away, a hundred years away. But listen, it's nearly 2,000 years closer than it was when this Scripture was written. And we need to take it more seriously than ever and practice it more consistently than ever. Because we need each other. If you're a stranger in this world, you need to make sure that you're regularly coming together with others who are of like circumstance and like faith in a place where you are not a stranger, but familiar, a friend, a family member, a fellow traveler on the road of truth and righteousness for worship, fellowship, and encouragement. Thank you. But what about the day-in, day-out challenge of living in a world that is indifferent or even hostile towards Christians? How should we live? Well, here's some steps to take. Number one, evaluate everything. What standard do we use for our evaluation? You can answer that question. The Scripture, the Bible. We have only one yardstick. You use anything else and you will be in error. There is no such thing as your truth. There is only God's truth. That's it. The Bible has outlasted every culture throughout history. God has given it to us so we can use it to evaluate everything that we deal with in our our walk on this earth. It is our standard Our guidebook for truth or error, right or wrong, moral or immoral. It answers the question, is that what God says about it? Colossians 2.8, and this is from the New Living Translation, says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the truth. Right? The fact is, there are really only two sources for life and truth. You can either base your life on the Word, or you will base your life on the world. You can't have one foot in each. It doesn't work that way. Try that and it will tear you apart. The two don't work in conjunction with one another. In fact, they are completely opposed. The Bible teaches very clearly that we are in a battle. And it's a battle between the Word of God and the world. And we see that being challenged on every front, don't we? 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through... 5a, again, this is a new living. We are human, but we don't wage 
war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Right here. Then the second thing we need to do is develop strong convictions. Rick Warren has said, the people whose lives have made the greatest impact on the world are people who live by conviction rather than convenience. We must develop some strong convictions to counteract the pressure of our culture. In other words, there, there are some things we just have to say, no, we cannot go there. We cannot accept that. We have to be able to say that. It's our conviction. Those convictions should, should be based upon step one, the one I just talked about, God's Word. That's where those convictions come from. Some folks have some pretty strong convictions that have very little or no basis in God's Word at all. Or maybe worse, an incomplete understanding of God's Word. That's why it's important to study the Word of God, so that when you develop conviction, they're based on proper understanding of the truth. In other words, we're not out in right field somewhere or left field, or even center field. We're on base. We're on target. We must also be careful that we don't develop convictions determined by someone else's understanding of the Word. Check it out for yourself. Be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. Lord. When, Paul, when Paul went to them and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, they went back and searched those Old Testament prophecies that he made reference to to check him out. So check it out for yourself. Nothing's more humbling than to discover that you've lived a conviction that you later discover had no real basis in God's Word. Uh-oh. And once you've developed godly, truth-based convictions, don't let the opinions of others or the pressure of our culture dissuade you from it. Because we see a tremendous amount of pressure to dissuade us from the truth of God's Word and the standards we are to hold according to His Word. Colossians 2.20 says, With Christ you have died to the elements of this world, then why do you let others dictate to you? If God accepts you and approves of you, what does it matter what others think? The Bible says that Christ sets us free from the expectations of others. That's real freedom. You don't have to be in. You don't have to be out. If God is pleased with me, that's what matters. Third, love God with all your heart. You can't love God and love what the world loves at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. And the point is this. God wants your total allegiance. He wants you to love Him with all your heart. In Matthew 22, verses 36 and 37, it says, That is the great commandment. 
Teacher, he asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Complete allegiance. The problem is that many believers want to love God half-heartedly. They want to love God because that's the safe thing to do. We know we should do that. But they want to love other things too. God has a term for believers who have allowed other things to become more important than their relationship with Him. He calls it spiritual adultery. It's cheating on God. You know, the ancient Hebrews had a big problem with that. If you read the Old Testament, they wanted to keep God, you know, in the circle here. We'll worship God, but just to cover all our bases, we're going to throw Baal and Asherah and Molech and a few others in there just in case. And we know where it got him. You know that exile I talked about earlier? That was the result of their spiritual adultery. And too many Christians try to do this all the time. They're more interested in pleasure or possessions or play and position than they are in God. They're saying, yes, I want a relationship with God, but I want it on my terms. My time, energy, my money are going to pursue the good life. And then I'll throw God in there somewhere. God is an also rather than the one. He's just kind of in the mix. But He needs to be the one. The one in our lives. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So here's the bottom line. Spiritual adultery makes me an enemy of God. The kind of pain that adultery can cause in a marriage relationship is the same kind of pain we cause God when we are not faithful to Him like we should be. It breaks His heart. It's serious business. We need to love God with all our heart. And then, the fourth thing, influence others for good. Again, Referring to Philippians, where we just came from, chapter 2, verse 15. You're to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. Our lifestyles should be such a contrast to the culture that we live in that we stand out like shining stars. That's, the, that's even the terminology that Paul used in Philippians. Or... We appear to be strangers. We're different. Think about the parables of Jesus. Many of them had to do with the concept of penetrating, penetration. He says, you're to be the salt of the earth. Salt penetrates food. Have you ever tried to get salt out of a dill pickle? Or a piece of meat? Tough job. You're to be the light of the world. Light penetrates darkness. It's impossible to miss. I still think, um, years ago I went to visit an uncle who lives out in western Oklahoma and they took us down into 
uh, what I think called alabaster caves. And you know, they get you down in there a ways and they turn out all the lights. And it is pitch black. I mean, it's like you can't see anything. So if you strike a match in there, it's unavoidable. You will see light penetrates darkness. We're to be light in this world. You are leaven. Leaven penetrates. It infiltrates the dough, doesn't it? And I like the things that leaven does to dough. I like the result. I like bread. I like donuts. The point is, God wants us to make an impact with our lives for good. How do we do that? By sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And that can be done in a variety of ways. You know, listening. There are a lot of people who need someone just to listen. And I had someone call me on the phone the other day and just, they talked for a while and at the end they just said, thanks for listening. Or just to be loved on in some way, to, to show care or compassion or kindness. And you know what's great about when we do those things is God often opens the door then and we can, be, we can talk about Jesus. Why are we the way we are? We can talk about the cross because really that's the centrality of the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, Jesus could have come and done miracles and, you know, calm the sea. I was reading Dean's devotional. Wow. It's one thing when you feed people and you heal a disease, but when you've got control over the weather, that's powerful. And we can see all those things. And Jesus could have done all those things, but if He didn't go to the cross, we wouldn't be here today. That's the centrality. And folks, it's at the foot of the cross that we are reconciled. It's at the foot of the cross. We're all on level ground with one another. It's at the foot of the cross that we are healed. And there's a lot of stuff that we're hearing right now in the world about what needs to happen. Well, I'll tell you what needs to happen. RDS said this. I thought it was interesting in his kind of his farewell sermon. We need to take off the boxing gloves and carry the cross. In other words, he says, sometimes we're too ready to fight when what we need to do is share the love of Jesus and the power, what the cross can do in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean we don't stand up for the truth. We have to do that. But the centrality of the truth is the cross of Jesus Christ, isn't it? We have to be willing to bear the cross and share the cross with people. In John 17, verses 15 and 18, Jesus again is praying for His disciples. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world... I sent them into the world to be what? Strangers, aliens, nonconformists, different. When you become a believer, when you put your faith in Christ, 
You become an agent of God, but not a secret agent. In fact, we are called to be ambassadors. He wants other people to know who we represent. He wants us to influence others. Think about an ambassador, and I'm going to put a little different light on this in just a moment, but an ambassador goes to a country to represent, in our case, the United States of America. A place where most often the language, the culture are different than the ambassador's, his or her own. That person is a stranger in a foreign land. I like to think of it in terms of missionaries. Missionaries are often called to a different country, to a different language, to a different culture. They're strangers in a foreign land. But you know what happens? You talk to missionaries and what they've done, they've fallen in love with those people. In that foreign land, they've fallen in love. And in some ways, they fall in love with aspects of their culture. Now, I know there are aspects of the culture that often need change and need to be left out. But say, you know, they may love the language. They may love the foods in that country. They may love the hospitality that those people practice. So they fall in love with those people. Folks, we live in a culture that in many ways is foreign to us. But God has called us to fall in love with the people. And the change factor that we bring to that situation as missionaries where we live is the message of the cross. Amen? So, we may not like the sound of being a stranger or an alien or peculiar people, but that's exactly what God has called us to. And it's a very positive thing, isn't it? Chosen elect sounds great, but listen, being a stranger in this world who has a citizenship in heaven, that's a positive thing. And God wants us to live that way because He's called us to something different, hasn't He? Listen, who would have thought, and, and, the, and the Jews are still struggling with this today, who would have thought that the Messiah would come and die on a cross? They could not buy into that, could they? They couldn't. Many still cannot. The Savior of the world? We're talking white charger and huge sword. That's how you save the world. So our message is different. But it's true. And it's real. And it's changed our lives. And it's changed the lives of those God has called us to go to as we live as strangers and aliens and nonconformists in the world where He's placed us for just a time as this. Amen? Father, we come to You today. We know this stranger-alien stuff is not easy. We don't like to be thought of as peculiar or different or odd or alien you know, we, we want to be normal. We want to be accepted. And yet, your call on our lives, at least in a spiritual sense, in a moral sense, in an ethical sense, 
is to be very different from the world we live in. And we do that not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in and through us. Father, help us always to live as people of the truth and citizens of heaven in a lost and broken world in which you've called us to carry the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the cross. Give us the strength to do that daily as living sacrifices for your honor and glory. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you as you go today. Thank you for being here.